following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. So we are, we are in the midst of discussing the uh, issues of end-of-life morphine, which seemingly um, would be implied tend to sh foreshorten the life of the patient. The question is, can you give this morphine knowing that it might or very good chance of foreshortening the life of the patient in order to alleviate the pain of the patient. Um, so we mentioned, we started off last week with two responses, one from the Moritzia, known as Rabiakov Emden, in the 1700s, um, who discusses a case of kidney stones and doesn't prohibit it, but is not fond of, um, of, giving, of, of doing surgery just to alleviate pain. He understood, rightfully or wrongfully so, as we said, um, that uh, kidney stones is not is not a fatal is not fatal, just to alleviate pain. Again, that seems to be up for debate. Um, but either way, the point is the principle that he was uh, that seemed to be implying was, again, he doesn't say it's prohibited, but he strongly frowns upon doing surgery, which is just for the purpose of alleviating pain, since there are risks involved in those surgeries. Um, etc. That was Shuvah number one. Sponsor number two was from Moshe Feinstein. I don't remember the case, but something about uh, also someone, a patient was um, in bed. The only way to uh, give them, they're not again, there's no fatal illness involved, but the only way to get them, to give them quality of life was to, was to have a surgery, which there is some risk involved in the surgery. And again, Moshe Feinstein prohibited that unequivocally, um, doing surgery just for the purpose of quality of life. Um, to allow the person to, to get around as opposed to um, not being mobile. Uh, so again, where there's a risk job. for life. But so much fear in those jobs. Not discussing those jobs. <laughs> that's a different thing. That's for beauty. That's, uh, that might be a whole different story. That's a lot. No, it's social grief. Uh, that's, breathing is a good thing. Um, so, so, that, so, but we said those are not necessarily proof to this particular case. I don't remember why trying to remember, but we said that uh, meaning to the ca our case, it, um, those cases, help me out here, remember what I said, um, meaning, meaning the question is why is that not, uh, it does not, does that not answer our question here of the case of morphine. So we said it's slightly different, and I don't remember why, but trust me that it is, um, it, it is different. <laughs> Um, and um, and then we so we began the response. Um, thank you very much for that delivery. It warms my heart. Um, is so we we discussed uh, this this case from which you have in front of you from Rabbi Zilberstein, where again he was asked this question, and he um, quotes Shlomo Zalman Orbach, who permits it. Okay. Um, and he mentioned seems to be two reasons, and we'll, we'll we'll follow up here. So let me just let's see where we're going to start from. So first of all, just to end, we didn't end the response, but in his response, Shlomo Zalman Orba, he does permit it, seemingly two reasons, and we'll mention the two reasons again in a second. Um, he ends off saying a very important statement. He says, and we're on the bottom of page two, side left side, bottom paragraph. And I apologize again that it's cut off. He says, "I will tell you a." Uh, a confidential statement. I'm not knocking nails, meaning I'm not attaching this with full force in all that I've just wrote in this response. Um, they are very 
complicated and severe questions. <coughs> and I don't have any clear proofs to what I'm saying. That's the end of his, that's end quote. From the letter so, so basically he's saying, yes, and he's allowing it. Statement? Yeah, very, very rarely the rabbis not say mm-hmm. things with force. But he's saying it here, listen, I'm allowing it, but honestly I don't have clear proof um, to this, so I'm not knocking it in with strong nails. And as we'll see, it's not, it's not so simple. But we're going to try to explain. So just, so just to summarize what he said from last week, he made two very important points, and it's to turn to the next page, uh, summarized on top there. Um, so he makes two points, um, which is like this: two reasons that he permitting he's permitting the morphe on the right side on top. He says, "Aleph, number one is It's not, not you. What's your concern here? That by giving him the morphine to alleviate his pain, you're going to foreshorten his life." He says, "It's possible that pain itself causes um, a foreshortening, life, uh, foreshortening of life." So he's saying that is not necessarily a reason, you know, not to give it. Because by not giving it, you also might be, you also might foreshorten his life. People live in extreme pain. Um, he says, Lo pachas morphine, not any less than the foreshortening of the morphine. He says, and maybe even more so, As long as the intention of the physician is to stop the pain, to quiet them, to calm the pain. Not to God forbid, he says, foreshorten the life of the patient. Mutter, that will be permitted. Ela shemacholu bakara, if the patient is conscious, who yodea benkach esmatzavin, he he knows the situation. So he can ladiol lekavlas kamasa. You have to get his permission in order to do it. So not if the patient is unconscious um, or or not able to to give consent. So then we can assume that he wants it. He said, but if the patient is. Um, can give consent. You need to get his consent before you do it. if the patient's unconscious, he won't uh, be conscious of the pain. I don't mean unconscious. I mean, yeah. meaning he's not able. First of all, that's not necessarily true. Many yeah. times, in my experience, my limited experience. But how do you know he's in No, I'm pain. saying you, know, you could see the patient writhing in pain, even though they can't talk. They can You know, it's many times well, they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. 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 The things that are going on. I mean, I live. My wife lives with this every day. She does pain medicine at MD Anderson. So I, I we discuss. Right. We, we don't bring her. And she needs to become. She's at a meeting in Ryan okay. this week. I and a lot of times she she does. We don't discuss individual things, but she, we discuss sometimes cases. And this is very common. Yes. I mean, and what you what you're saying is basically what you try to do with patients that are uh, at end of life. Yes. I mean, that's just yeah, but the question is, I know we know it's common. The question is, is it permitted halachically? That's what we're you trying to figure out. It is. He's, this rabbi's saying it is. Don't call me. Alan, just think about it. You could be demented, and it's not, you're obviously in a lot of pain, but you can't get permission because you're demented. Yeah. That's a common thing, too. Of course, sometimes you have tubes, and you, I mean, or yeah. you can't talk. Stroke. Okay, so, so and that's number one. Number two, he says, um, which is something we didn't need, I don't think we got to last week, but I'm just going to say it. Here and and this is something a concept we've discussed in the past, which he says sakana something that only has a concern of danger, meaning it's not a hundred percent danger. Olam soto, and the world um, tends to do it. It's a normal part of life, as you say, pain management today. The normal thing is at the end of life do give morphine, so it's done by the masses. Mutter lismach al pasuk shomer famous verse which we discussed uh, nauseam in the past which the King David writes in Psalms, 
God guards the foolhearted. Um, okay, so not getting political here. Oh, no politics. But God guards the foolhearted, um, which which is taking the Talmud understands that to mean that things that dash pay rabbin, that means that's a normal part of everyday living, like driving on a six tent, even though you gotta be a fool to do it. It's very dangerous. People cut you off and there's a good chance it's very dangerous driving on the six tent. I can say my son got his license yesterday. I have not let him drive on the highway as of yet. Um, so we, we, it's still permitted halachically to do it. <laughs> um, even though there's a, there's a real danger to your life, probably more dangerous than many of the other things that we don't do because of danger. So let me just finish the point. So he says, Therefore, Since it's the general, as you say, general accepted practice for patients to get morphine in order to calm their pain. You can apply the principle of God guarding the foolhardly and it's foolhardy. That's not to say that the patient's not going to die from it, but it's to say that it's permitted halachically. We allow society to do things which inherently might have danger in, in it sometimes, even though normally it's prohibited. Go. The, the notion it strikes me as, as bizarre that only one? something that might only one, yeah. In this paragraph. That something yeah. That something that might be halachically illegal yes. can be made legal by virtue of the crowd doing it. Yes. Totally. I mean <laughs> totally. You know, it's a great loophole. It's awesome. It's a, it's a wonderful. It only, only applies, by the way, to, to, uh, way, to danger. It doesn't mean to something that potentially dangerous. It doesn't apply to adultery, for example. Yeah, so everyone's doing it, so therefore, like that. just want to make that clear. <laughs> okay. It doesn't the, apply. The it only applies to a very important statement I just made to qualify. But this, this allowance, as it's putting it, it doesn't, only applies to um, suffix sakanat nefashas. A potential danger to life. It doesn't apply to adultery. Because let's say everyone's doing it, you can't say, oh, hey, everyone's doing it. It becomes legally permitted. Give it a few years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, I think right. Wait. <laughs> yes, so Find another So, again, it's 100%. The concept is a very strange and um, interesting concept. And I'll have no question about that. But again, we're, we're not. Um, if something's 100% dangerous, I mean, you're going to die. So you don't say do it anyway because everyone's doing it. But we're saying things that have potential, that, let's say even many jobs, as you know, as we discussed in the past, careers, certain careers that are dangerous. Um, we allow you to do that. There's allowances because this is, society has to function. Obviously, if we tell you, meaning if you're a Jewish mother and you don't let your child do anything because it might be dangerous, you know, every time they open the fridge, I had an aunt who made you put on a sweater. Every time you open the refrigerator, right? So then you can't live life like that. So halacha understands that. We have to make allowances in society. What's the norm? If this is the norm, we have to say philosophically and theologically speaking um, that God obviously is going to take care of it. Don't worry. You can't, you can't live your life where everything you do. Today there's a study saying everything you do is, is causes cancer. I mean, there's nothing you do today. There's no study that says it's not dangerous. So it means we would have to sit at home and just study Torah all day. Um, if all the, so, if all so the statistics about cancer were true, right. we'd have all died three years ago. Exactly. There's a book uh, called Oblomov. So I think I think it's a fascinating thing. I just want to say that Halacha realizes this. So you can't lock a person in a room and say you can't do anything. Otherwise, you can't live your life. Yeah. Oblomov 
first 60 or 80 pages of the book, the guys deciding whether to get out of bed just for the reasons you're describing, in part. That it's just, you know, something could happen. Uh, yeah, no, it's 80 it's pages. Should I get out of bed today or not? The, um, it's a Russian book. It's a Russian book, right? <laughs> they take the, the, the thought that comes uh, to mind is, is this, you know, at end of life, it used to be thought people would want to die because of intolerable pain, but now with palliative care, intolerable pain is not the most frequent reason people end, uh, choose to end their life through in Oregon and other states. It's often because of psychological reasons, a loss of control, um, fear of uh, pain without really having the pain control. And it seems you, have, you just have the same sort of argument there, can you treat or are you actually malpracticing by not treating that psychological pain? Um, a little variation of what you're talking about, but I think it's highly relevant. Hey, but I, I agree with you. It in is general, just right now, what we call it. this specific uh, one, I don't want to. Big statement. I don't want to take a chance. But, um, so, so by the way, this was written. I don't know when. This is very black. Written a while ago, 19. <laughs> but he does. He claims here in 2006. This was published. He says recent medical studies, he's discussing this issue of treating pain where there's risk treatment. He says recent medical studies confirm that the halakha presumption that severe pain is a casual factor of decreased longevity is empirically correct. So first of all, he says this concept that halakha recognizes that, that pain itself um, can, shorten your life. can shorten your life. Is he's empirically correct. Yes. It's an interesting statement. Is that a reference? Yeah, what, how one does he get to uh, that? One second. One perspective randomized, he says the study. One placebo, perspective randomized study. Placebo-controlled study was primarily designed to assess the efficacy of pain relief in patients with unrespectable pancreatic cancer. A total of 137 patients were randomized and blinded to receive either intraoperative chemical... Intraoperative. Intraoperative chemical splen... Splenectomy? With alcohol, block, or placebo. Okay. Wait, wait. It says splenectomy or, or intraoperative. Need someone who reads English. Yeah. What's a splanknosectomy? Splanking nerves. Yeah. Splanking nerve. I don't even know what that is. What is it? Yeah, I remember a nerve called a splanking nerve. What do you do that for? I never heard of a splanking never heard of doing that, but the splanking nerves are kind of in the Area, yeah, area. and they do inject. I mean, that, that's that's a procedure. Splanchnectomy. That's a chemical splanch. He's, he's quoting here the. He's quoting here an article. Chemical splanchnectomy in patients unresectable pancreatic cancer. Prospective randomized trial. Annals of surgery, volume two seventeen, number five. This is May of 1993. Oh, I remember that. I do remember <laughs> surgeons doing that. Now you're talking about it. So oh, yeah, so this is what he says. They inject, they, they, you know, good pain medicine. Like so what, what did it prove? Okay, why do they, why do they take out this nerve? Because that's a pain nerve? Is that what they're doing? It's in the pancreas. It feeds the pancreas. So it's in And it's a pancreatic cancer It's an bed nerve from the pancreas? Yeah. Isn't there a splanchnic bed somewhere? He says, listen to the study, he says, and what the authors of the report describe is an, a, quote, unexpected finding, end quote. The study demonstrated a highly significant improvement in actual, in actuarial survival in the patients who received alcohol chemical splanchnectomy. As reported in the New York Times Magazine, a more recent study has shown that adequate pain treatment influences the survival of animals suffering from cancer. Rac rats afflicted with malignant tumors 
that were given morphine survived longer than those that did not receive treatment for pain. Okay, that's uh, that's not terribly but surprising to me. But I, I don't know. Yeah. We've known for a long time. There, there really have been studies that show that depression uh, increases the risk of myocardial infarction because it inhibits uh, because it inhibits platelet makes platelets stickier. And so we see more MIs. That's one of the reasons why so many people die within a year of their spouse dying. They get Mm -hmm. depressed. It affects their platelet function. Antidepressants, one of the side effects of antidepressants is it's an antiplatelet drug. And so it prevents MIs just like taking a baby aspirin a day. I'm just, I guess I'm confused why this is being brought up as an example, because there's a risk of doing this nerve block? No, because if you don't treat the pain, it shortens your life. He's just proving this point that Rishon Mazam Rabbach is saying that that's a huge pain treatment. He's proving any point, but okay. okay. I'm saying so he's, 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 he's yeah. trying to bring. He's some bringing up this one study. Some smach, some leaning to yeah. the statement Rabbi Orbach is making, which is that um, it could be treating with morphine will actually make him live longer. Where the whole concern here, meaning the whole question here, is based on the premise so that by treating him, you're going to foreshorten his life. You take away the pain, but you're going to so foreshorten his life. He's saying that on the contrary, maybe. By treating the pain, you're going to lengthen his life. With well, I, I thought he's saying more untreated pain will shorten your life. That's well, he's saying specifically these but rats on morphine live longer than the rats on But, but I, I share Ron's problem with this. The ethical question is whether you can give pain medicine that might foreshorten life. Saying that you can do that because it might foreshorten life, because oh, we also have a study that it might extend life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's, that's not a moral. No, that's not a moral response to that question. That's a that's a rationale coming. No, let me explain. Yeah. It is a moral response. No treatment and non-treatment both shorten no, life. Then we we need, again, shorten by the way, it's life. not, and he also, is a, he proves that that's a separate issue, which I'll get to later, which is, it's not clear that morphine, again, foreshortens life either, but that's a separate issue. The point being here, what we're saying is don't treat the pain. What the premise of the question was, maybe we shouldn't treat the pain because we might be killing the patients by treating his pain, right? Or potentially foreshortening his life. So what he's saying is, that's not necessarily true. Halacha recognizes, forget the study. He's just bringing that as an aside. I'm, I'm bringing it in just to impress some physicians. I'm not doing a good job of that. The, 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 he, the halacha is what's important here. He's saying, Shalmazama doesn't mention any studies. He's saying halachically, halacha recognizes that pain itself can kill someone too, can foreshorten your life. Therefore, you're not, the way, you know, as again, we always have to weigh the risk against the benefit, the risk benefit uh, you know, analysis. So what he's saying is, there could be, not only is there maybe no risk here, but actually might be beneficial but to treat the pain as a in fact the length or of possibility? life. No, I'm saying, Shalom Zalman is a possibility, Efshir. Okay. says but the, the first yeah, word so on the paragraph is Efshir, meaning question, maybe. And once you have that maybe, then now the risk-benefit analysis comes but, much more easily. But, yeah. but the moral question isn't how did I make my risk-benefit ratio on survivorship. The moral question is, Assuming it's going to foreshorten the life, can I go ahead and treat the pain? I'm not, I'm that, not sure. That's the moral question. No, I'm not sure because everyone's going to say, meaning as we'll see soon, meaning 
everyone to a certain they end up allowing it, right? But of course, only with a certain risk benefit allowance, meaning there has to be numbers applied. We're not going to say, as he's going to say at the end, very clearly, if it if the patient's going to die immediately from your treatment from your pain uh, treatment, then of course you can't do it. We're only allowing you to do it That's because physician assisted suicide. We're in a certain sense, right? Meaning, right? One hundred percent, he's going to die. In what he calls ninety immediately, whatever immediate means. So, and of course, you can't do it. Um, so, so there has to be a risk-benefit analysis applied to the halacha. Also, not just blanketly saying it's okay. So, so we'll get to that part. So, we didn't have, so that was that's the end of Rosh Hashanah Orbach. Um, it does raise another point, know. which is often in end-of-life situations, not only your choice is difficult, but the data is unavailable. You have to make a lot of assumptions to try to do the moral calculus, as it were, right. or, or you're saying the risk-benefit ratio, because it's often impossible to calculate that. Right. There's too many yeah. variables. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's particularly acute end of life. Of course, not Allah. Um, okay, so so now the, the issue is um, he's going to try to, what he calls, sweeten the words. Because this was when this letter, and it's not clear, not everyone even agrees that he said it. I mean, it was quoted. It was not officially in writing, this whole sak halacha. So many, um, it's a very novel in halacha. Basically, you're saying you're allowed to give pain treatment to the patient, even though there's a chance he's going to die from it. So a lot of people discussed it, obviously. So he says he's going to try to sweeten it, meaning to explain Meaning Rabbi Zilberstein, yes. Okay. Try to explain Rabbi Orbach's psaq and what the rationale behind it is um, more than Rabbi Orbach himself explained it. So he says, so we're continuing there, he says uh, right after the paragraph bet, okay, so it says Birtsoni. Mm -hmm. you with us? Birtsh. Uh, paragraph after the bet. Next page. Next page, yes. See, I do. It's, he says on the next page, um, after the bet, paragraph page, it says, I would like to sweeten the words of, uh, of uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman, to explain, to explain it, to add, have additional explanation. I to sweeten the words. As I, I remember when I moved to Houston, and I told you the stories. So we found, you know, one of you know, Bunch of rabbis came to Houston. Every day, people would, you know, be dropping off uh, Hebrew books from their house, and like the grandmother died, the aunt Sadie died, and then emptying out the attic. So one of the books we found was it was a Shakespeare. Um, I'm trying to remember which play it was. One of the Shakespeare plays, um, in Yiddish, and it says in Yiddish parentheses, "Fatayshd uh, and translated and improved, improving <laughs> Shakespeare's plays. In Yiddish, it's better. Everything's better in Yiddish. So he's improving on Rabbi Shlomo Zalman. Okay? So he says like this. He says, um, uh, So this is, if you remember, we discussed this a few months back. I don't remember how many months, years, months, everything. It's all a blur. Chazanish um, has an unbelievable tshuva, a response of discussing the famous dilemma, Foot from, I forgot her first name, some <coughs> professor Foot from Columbia, about the train, you have a trolley going down the tracks, and there's three people hitting, going to kill these three people, and you can avert the trolley and it will only kill one person. I'm allowed to um, change, tra change the tracks of the trolley to kill the one person. OK, 
Okay, so as we mentioned then, Chazunish actually addressed this issue two years before Foot published her her, her uh, question. Um, and he says, Chazanish says, this is written, I believe, in 1951 or somewhere there. He's, he allows, his case is not a trolley, it's an arrow. Oh, an arrow's coming, it's going to hit an arrow or a spear is flying, it's going to hit someone, it's going to hit a crowd. Can you avert the, the arrow? will only kill one person. And he does allow it. He, um, we discussed this recently in, in the context of autonomous cars, autonomous driving. Um, so what, what we said there is the Chazanish does allow it. Fascinating. She allows you, even though normally, as we mentioned um, then, and as famously quoted, the Rambam rules that if I can save uh, many lives by killing one person, it's still prohibited. Okay? The famous case of you have pirates captured a bunch of Jews. They say, give us one Jew, and we won't bother anyone else. You're now allowed to give up one Jew. Okay? Um, why? Because you can't, all life is of infinite value, so you can't save uh, many even for, at the expense of one. Okay, it's sacrifice one to save many. But, says the Chazanish, this is different, because when I'm averting the arrow, that, in essence, is a life-saving measure. I'm doing an act, what he calls an act of Hatzalah. I'm doing an act of saving. It's not an act of murder. In the case, when I'm giving someone over to ISIS, I'm giving a Jew over to ISIS, that is a disgusting, what he calls a disgusting act of murder. Yes, the consequences of your disgusting act of murder is you're saving, maybe saving many lives. But that is, in essence, an act of murder. As opposed to averting the arrow to kill this one person, I'm really doing what's called, it's not an act of murder, it's an act of saving. Okay, we're not going to get into the whole detail. So he wants to apply that here to Morphe. He wants to apply the same rationale. So let's just read it, the paragraph. He says, If you see an arrow flying to kill a group of people, and you can push the arrow to the uh, to another direction. Only one person will be killed. And the, the mass will be saved. It's probable that it's permitted to do that. It's not uh, similar. It's not analogous to the case of the of the pirates who say, "Give us one to uh, one of you to be killed." If now we will kill all of you. And of course the Allah is in that situation. They all have to be killed. They cannot give over one Jewish life. This is not similar, it's not analogous. To the case of pushing the arrow. Mishum says, giving over a life to be killed. It's a discussing act of murder. You're giving this person to ISIS. You know what ISIS is going to do them, right? We all know what ISIS does, so they're going to, there's no question. You're doing, you're complicit in their murder. Well, Pulatzu, but he says in this action, Pulatzu, in this action, there's no, in your action, there's no, um, we cannot define it as an act of saving others naturally. But the consequence of your action by giving over this person to ISIS is this act of murder that you're participating in will help save many. Okay? But in the case of the arrow, pushing you from one direction to another, this is really an act of saving. You're, you're doing an action of, of rescue. And that you have an obligation to do. 
you can rescue Jews, many Jews, of course you have an obligation to do that. Adkan Devei Chazanish, that's the end quote from the Chazanish. So he says, Kemoke, and he goes on to say in the next paragraph, Rabbi Zobushtein, Kemoke Binyaneinu, in our situation, Matana Morphim Mugdar Bisodok Rifua. He says, giving morphine is really a healing action. It's an action of treating the patient. That's not, right, it's an action of treating the patient. Shematarata, its goal is lashkit kevim, to quiet the pain, to calm the pain. Umashugora bikvotav kitzur chayim. And what it might happen to be that this morphine is the cause of foreshortening his life. We don't view that as a disgusting act of murder, as being as as an act of murder. So he's taking the Chazanush's rationale with the case of the arrow and applying it here to morphine. You agree? Yeah, I, I, that's often the, it's sort of <coughs> the same uh, thinking that palliative medicine does in hospice because they just take it out of the, the hands of the family and everybody else, but they've given permission to do mm-hmm. it. But that's basically what they're... In the case of morphine, you're not talking about where they're actually euthanasia. Where they're no, killed. no, right. just this, right. this. Right, so I want to make it clear. It's 100%. He's not saying that you can... He's not saying you can do a mercy killing here. It's not what we're saying. Of course, if your intention, again, is to give the morphine in order to kill the patient, to get him to die quicker, that, of course, would be murder. What he's saying is if your intention and your goal of giving the morphine is specifically to alleviate the pain and it happens to be maybe a consequence of that action is that the patient will die a little earlier. He says maybe based on this rationale, the Chazanish's rationale would be okay. Here's where a problem of that happens. Yeah. A lot of times patients, they're to allowed themselves. to press the button mm-hmm. to say to stop the pain. Well sometimes when they're in such severe pain and they're dying, they want to press that button more and the question is do you let them do that more? That's Right, so again, he, he, he would he seem, would say, yes. to, if the purpose right. is not to kill themselves, if the purpose is specifically to alleviate the pain, then it sounds like it would be a lot, yes. The reason why I was grimacing before is like, I, I know we're trying to create these like perfect definitions of pain versus not killing, but you know, they get really close to each other, you know, they're like maybe the same at a certain point. And then the question is, yeah, we could rationalize and say we're just trying to alleviate pain, but we know that giving 120 cc's of morphine an hour is probably going to kill them and, yes, alleviate the pain. So it's kind of both. So then the question is, do you just fall back on a rationalization saying it's really just about the pain and the death was just a byproduct of treating the pain but really, why not just be honest and say when you get above 100 cc's an hour of morphine, they're going to die of respiratory distress. And yes, we're treating the pain, but we know that it's going to kill them. Yeah, but they're going to die happy. It's like the to be or not to be speech. Yeah, it is. So, like, anyway, I know, I know they're trying, they're trying to make it clean, but it's not clean. 100%, that's why I'm saying. This is not That's why it's a two-weeker instead of a one-weeker. Yeah, but I think even in the end, you can't dissociate those two things. So again, I've well, never well, done it. I'm not a, I will never position, but you're right. I think it's very hard to be objective, especially for family members who sometimes the end of life want to had enough, and for the patient, and, and also for the doctors. You're right. It's, it's, I can't imagine the, how to make that decision objectively in many cases. I agree. I, I think. Is that really, uh, yeah. uh, 
Steinrich brings up a good point that these self-administered morphine machines have limits set into them. Some of them. Uh, and so if you have a, a, some, a patient pushing the button and he asks you to override the restriction, oh. that's Yeah, but again, the restriction doesn't mean surely death. I mean, they're not setting at a level where it's, you go over the restriction. setting at a level that won't kill them, and if yes. you give them more, you... Yeah, I'm just saying not push. Right. Right. Can you make that? So again, the, a, a, he seems <laughs> to be saying, even as long as the intention is for the pain, which Ron is pointing out, it's a very, you know... But gray, it could be a very gray area. This is the safe limit of morphine you can give. It. Yeah, but again, it's not it's not 100% death, immediate death, if you, if you go override that. But, but it's assured that you're increasing the risk of death. Yes, increasing the risk, yes. That's the key word, the risk. So risk is allowed, that's what he said. I think the more common problem, the one Sir Ron is addressing, does occur in hospice, where you, take, you start with people already <coughs> cachectic, they're not eating well, they're not, and they're drifting in and out. You go to hospice and they're given enough morphine. They may not even be in that much pain, but they're given a lot of morphine to calm them down. So much so they can no longer eat and drink. And because they're in hospice, they're not going to be fed by tube. And they die. And I think that's where you, that's exactly where you get in this situation where you're giving the morphine with, it, it, appear, it would appear to an outside observer like me, they are killing them. They're not really relieving much pain. They're just making sure they're not going to eat and drink and therefore they are going to die. But they're also not going to be in pain. But they may not have been in pain to begin with. Uh, well, they're so surely not well, in pain now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ron. Thanks for But I mean, that's what I they're mean, falling they're back they're on. They're definitely not. They keep falling back on the pain. You guys got a reason that they're not uh, I'm not so sure on hospital. No, so Ron has a very valid point. Meaning, if, let's uh, say, uh, if my goal, might, and there's, there's, there could be overlap of reasons. Meaning, when I'm giving it, as you say, as Ron is pointing out, my goal, yes, is to alleviate the pain. But it's also like there is a little bit, you know. We need the bed, and uh, I think sometimes it's more than a little bit. It's really the goal. Yeah, so I'm saying. So if obviously that's a stated goal, and the patient states that I want to die, and etc., and the parent, the family's pushing, so that is not permitting. What he's saying is, if the goal is to alleviate pain, now can we be completely objective? I agree. It's it's problematic. Well, not only so that. That's why it's a scary when thing. When you legalize physician-assisted suicide, you get what's called suicide contagion. Not only is there an increased risk of suicide among the non-sick population, not, but you now sort of, well, well, okay, we can... Slippery slope. But that, yeah, that's a slippery slope. Really. And in hospice, I think it's a real dangerous situation. You know, you reach a... The, there's a, a group of patients that I think Don Ron is kind of alluding to who, near the end of life, say, I don't care if I die. I'm ready to die. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to be in pain. I'd rather be spending my last little bit snoozing. Mm -hmm. And so it is really with the intention that I'm done, I've given up, I'm ready. Give me the damn morphine. And that that kind of is is different than that's at least qualitatively different than saying give me enough to keep me pain free but I want to live as long as I can versus I'm really ready to die give me as much as it takes and if, even if it even if I know it's going to foreshorten my life I think the keyword is what Russ was pointing meaning is risk. The, the meaning is the if it's 100% the person's going to die because of your overriding limit, 
I don't think it's permitted. What he's saying is if you're increasing the risk, even with there's a good chance the person will die, and your goal is alleviating pain. That's, I mean, you're, uh, yeah, you you're know, right. It's cemented. You're creating artificial... It's not artificial. It's just There's a psychological component to it. <laughs> if one of the main driving factors for people at the end of life is they want it, they don't want to lose control, so putting the patient on a pump where they can control it, it may not be they're having a lot of pain, but they just want to reestablish some element of control in their life, even if they're going to kill themselves. They're willing to do that because the psychological imperative <coughs> to take control of your life supersedes their will to live because they know they're going to die shortly anyway. So it's 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 a tough situation. But, but I think scary. Ron and I are having scary. having trouble. And Ron Ron will speak for himself, but I, I think we're having trouble uh, with the notion that. We, we're really creating an excuse where we know we're going to kill this patient. Uh, we're, we know we're going to foreshorten that patient's life, and we're using a, a rationale that our intent is pain. And that, that rationale is an artificial rationale, because we know that we're going to be giving enough morphine that it's going to foreshorten their life. You, oh, you, you never foreshorten, uh, I believe, you never foreshorten a life intentionally. You never... Uh, oh, I have. Your goal is never to do it. The goal of changing the arrow was to save lives. So, but uh, but I, I've given enough morphine it, it when happens, I knew, happens. When I knew I, that I that was going to foreshorten their life. And I knew that's what the patient yeah. and family yeah. wanted. Yeah. And, and no, that, not that's not euthanasia. That's not, yeah, your, that's not your goal. Your goal is to get rid of the pain. Okay, that's what I'm saying. It's it, a slippery it, slope. It's, it's, it's a very fine line. It's an artificial thing. I want to point out, yes, but I want to point out, I agree with everything that was said here. He's talking about <laughs> emotional pain. Right. They're talking about physical pain. No, it's emotional both physical. pain. Both fecal and halacha, they're both fecal. We don't differentiate. We don't differentiate. They discussed that. But my, my, I want to make a point here. This context here, this was written, by the way, just, well, this, this was written in 1979. Well, I think times might have been different. Today, I think it's the norm. Kill the patient, you know, it's, it's not, as we're saying, that slippery slope has come to the, we're, on, we're past the slope already. We slipped already. Um, when this was being written, I think it might have been, and correct me if I'm wrong, historically there might have been more objectivity at that point in the treatment. was this written? Well, th this specific letter was written in 1979, but Shlomo Zalman Orbach, I believe, wrote it before that. So we're talking, you know, 70s, where I think at that point, and again, I, I don't know for sure that I'm correct, but in history there was less of the concept of, you know, euthanasia, didactic work in wasn't around no. yet. It was, it, it was a lot of... You're absolutely right. Respirators were relatively new to so keeping people alive. And respirators were relatively new. Cancer treatments that were effective was relatively new. I think in the 70s, this was all new stuff. Palliative care really didn't exist. Right. So, so I mean, this so it was could be all today, new. I don't know if it would have been as easy to... Because you're right. I think we've come to the point in, in the medical community where, you know, it's not... You know, okay, yeah, poor, you know, mercy killing is a mitzvah today. It's not... It's become a, you know, a good thing. For doctors to kill people, I suppose. Uh, meaning, no, meaning, no. I'm saying having rachmanis. If you don't, you're like no, it is poor guy. Mitzvah. If you go to Europe, they'll tell you clear out. It's a mitzvah. There's no. I, I don't know that it's perceived that way, but I'm telling you, it is. That's no, what yes, I'm, I'm you're, you're perceiving. You're a disgusting mitzvah. person if you don't want to. Governor Lamb, right. Governor Lamb, 
Huh? Governor Lamb believed you had a duty to clear out. Yeah, in, in Europe they absolutely believe it's a mitzvah. Canada too. In fact, they have conscience clause where the doctors don't want to refer patients. It's illegal to not refer them. So it's, it's viewed as a big mitzvah, not yeah. just a mitzvah, but a big mitzvah. <laughs> and it's hard to believe because you, no, you don't... That's it. the way it is in Europe. We're just there. We had a whole conference. I'm telling you, that's, that's how they view it. Isn't it like in Europe, once you're over 70, you can't get into an ICU? I don't know about that. That's a different <laughs> issue, but that's about well, treatment. Can't go. You can't be placed on dialysis. Dialysis after oh. sixty-five. Dialysis. Wow. Okay. okay. But I think I the mean, psychology, the mitzvah psychology, is exactly what's so frightening about this. Right. You can pay for it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, but I agree with you. Yeah, you can't do so I think you're right. It was written in different times. I'm not sure today how it's, it's much scarier. I go even further. When we were trying to organize this conference and find a European, they addressed the point. We could not find a European physician willing to speak out against euthanasia. We couldn't find one. Wow. Okay, so I'm telling you, you wouldn't believe what's going on here. Okay, where are we will go on. So now, living, you know what? There are clinics for people who are tired of living. We're not discussing Europe. We don't talk about Europe in this. But it's coming here. That's why it's relevant. Coming to the theater near you. The, the he brings now an interesting uh, proof, or not only proof. He just does this concept of he talks about in general, and it's related to what we were saying before. The Rambam, as we know, was a physician, and he brings, throughout the Rambam, he has a whole section in Elizdeus, I think we once learned it here, together, we studied it together, about things you should do in life, things you shouldn't do to keep you, non-healthy things, healthy things. So he points out, and he's going to discuss the language of the Rambam, is, don't do, you know, a person shouldn't eat this, he doesn't prohibit things. So he's going to discuss what, if, if it's dangerous to your life, the Rambam should say, Asur, this is prohibited, but the Rambam doesn't say that. So he points out, uh, he's going to point out, try to bring proof to this principle that he's saying, if the action you're doing is, is not, is, is couched in different, um, it's, it's a perceived as act A, even if the consequences might be, you might die from it, but it's still, we don't, then, then that's viewed differently. We can't prohibit that act. That's what he points out in the last paragraph on the right side. He says, Teida shekach, bring your proof to this concept. Shayar Rambam. In Elchos Deus, Kasav, Yesh Machalot, Shem Roim, Biyosat knows. There are foods that are terrible for you, the Rambam writes. Um, they're very bad for you. Um, to never eat these foods. Amongst that list is um, um, the large salted fish, I mean, I mean like, <coughs> yes, like lax, um, and smoked. Yeshanim uh, is old or small, I don't know. Uh, says the Ram, these are like poison to your body. This food is poison to your body. Absolutely. <coughs> end quotes. Okay. Says says he, if it's truly poison for your body, should have been much stronger in his language. He's, the Ramam's giving you diet diet advice. Don't eat these foods. They're bad for you. They're poison. They'll kill you. Don't eat them. The person who eats these is a spiller of blood. And he's a murderer. If you serve this at your breast, if you serve locks at your breast, you're a murderer. And he's going to be, he's going to have to pay for it in heaven. 
just like he talks about, let's say, suicide or other things, he's very clear and very explicit in his language. He uses here a very nice, soft language. It's proper for a person not to eat these foods. What do you mean it's proper? You're, you're killing yourself. So he says, He says, So it seems, in my humble opinion, the answer is, By eating these foods, You can't define that as an act of killing. Right, I'm eating uh, bagels and lox. Right, I'm eating uh, red meat. Okay, smoked foods. What are the other ones that, that he said? Salted. Said? He says big salted fish. Salty. And salted. Salted, salted fish. Smoked. Salted. Yeah. Smoked. That's yeah. it. Just those two. That's all in this Boring. list. That's what I mean, there's a lot of things that he mentions. Ella, one second. Ella mukdarim and kapula machila. Hey, listen, you're eating. I'm, I'm having breakfast. What do you want from? <laughs> and he says those are defined as an act of eating. The hainu. Um, on top of the next page, I'm providing uh, food for my body, nutrients for my body. Even though by eating these foods, you're killing certain cells in your body and you're destroying your body. We cannot define that act as an act of murder. Wow. It's an interesting, it's interesting to me as a warrior that this proof is using stare decisis. It's using other non-biblical and non-textual yeah. things. It's just going back and quoting some other commentary yes. and using that other commentator as well, it's not a just any commentator, it's the Rama. So it, it kind of reminds me of what's going, what the discussion is today. Do you, do you have to go back to the Constitution or can you just use stare decisis of previous court or Right. Again, so we're, yes, 100%. Here, exactly. That's what and he here he's, he's using as his proof text Rambo a previous Rambo. proof text that, that doesn't relate no, but back saying, but to the text. The point is, we, as Rabbi Orbach originally stated, he has no real sources. So we have to dig, you're right, we have to find precedents of sources, well, which is very hard is, to find here. And his he point is, is the yeah, language of the Rambam. Shofech Tamim is still back to the Torah. Yeah, but, but that's his point. Well, he's just so really, he's not going directly to Torah, he's, he's going to Rambam yeah. who's quoting Torah. Yeah, but the Rambam's not really quoting Torah. Rambam's just saying yeah, the bad thing. That's no his point. He's extrapolating. He's extrapolating from the language of the Rambam the fact that he didn't call you a murderer if you eat locks. That's proof that, meaning, why not? You're a murderer, you're eating yeah, locks. It's a very weak argument. Yes. It's yes. been about four months that, that's what Torah here. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's got to go back to the Torah, otherwise it's valueless. Well, I'm not sure, but but the point is that this is a very weak argument. No, but it's it, secular. Okay, I think we agree. Yeah. Well, it's medical. Don't tell anyone. It's medical. It's yes, well, the Rambam was a physician. I, I want to point out the Rambam in halacha is like Torah. I mean, the Rambam, is, you know, he's one of the. We view the Rambam as. He's, he's, as he's a big shot. I'll grant yeah. that. He's yeah. kind of like. So a, meaning that so much so by Chief the way, Justice. You, what he's doing here is not even saying the Rambam saying this. He's extrapolating from, from what the Rambam didn't say. Right. Right. No, the Rambam didn't call it. Didn't tell you it's prohibited to eat lax. He said. You shouldn't be recommending quoting, you die. He's quoting the dissent as if it were advice. Yes. Huh? That could be medical advice. Right, but the point is, if if it's going to kill you, so then he should say it's prohibited. We know in halacha, anything that can kill you is also is prohibited. You can't mutilate your body. You can't uh, do so things except for most Jewish diets. Yes, that's his point. But so you're allowed to eat red meat. <laughs>
That's the question. You. You're right. Red meat's good for you. Red meat's good for you. The biggest problem with eating is the quantity. This really reflects the fact that the rabbis are having the same problem we're having, which is it's so hard to tell where you draw that bright line and say this you can't go beyond it. Now they, the rabbis, would say you can't kill them, but clearly now they're getting close to killing them, and they, 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 they don't have. It's like what the other just says. I know pornography when I see it. It's like he's saying Rambam probably knew pornography or killing a patient when he saw it, but it's hard to articulate what exactly yeah. he was looking at because it's just too difficult the to find a thorny a problem. Right. So they're they're struggling with the same problem we're struggling with. Yes. Kemokain. He goes on to say second paragraph on the page. Kemokain gambin yaneinu ma'achar va'yisurim kashim hein admod. As you're saying, the 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 pain and suffering. Is very great. Varofi mitzuva lifol lishake lish lashkata takevim, and the doctor's is commanded. His job, his goal, is to quiet the pain, to calm the pain. Alpha bishayin leil yadol l'rapa. Even though he can't heal him, meaning in this case where it's a fatal illness, it's a terminal illness, the, the doctor can't heal him, but he still has an obligation to take care of the pain. Therefore, we view his action as an action of rescue, of treating, the, of treatment, in order to quiet the pain. And not as an action of of uh, of, of removing a soul. See, right, 100%. I mean, he's saying we need to look at the action and define the action. They're also the reason they're trading very carefully. And this is, I don't know if you all know this, but in bioethics in particular, there's a, a big movement to translate the fundamental mission of physicians from healing to relieving suffering. That's what they're talking about here. If your goal here is to heal this patient who can't be healed, then as a very small subset of medicine, you start relieving suffering knowing you really can't heal them anymore. But when you shift the primary mission of medicine to relieving suffering, then you can kill people. Because that will relieve their suffering, and it's a huge battle. But in Europe, it's already the battle's lost because they have shifted to relieving suffering. Or one. What's that? Or the battle is won. Exactly. exactly. Here in the United States, we're still having that battle over healing versus relieving suffering. You don't have to be a physician to relieve suffering, but you probably have to be a physician to figure it out and heal it. Yeah. But he's saying part of the job of a physician is also to relieve suffering, not just treating But not the, the primary illness. job, but not yeah, the primary In this case, job. there is no treating so illness. There's all a fight over the language. Whoever so controls the language right. Absolutely. Physician-assisted suicide or medical aid in dying, which is it? I, I want to point out is something that I'm on my own, and we've studied it. I don't know why no one's bringing that as a proof text, but we did discuss, for example, a similar concept that there's a prohibition in the Torah of... of of uh, injuring your parents. It's a capital crime in the Torah to draw blood. If you punch your father or mother in the face and you draw blood, that's capital punishment in the Torah. Okay? Pasuk. Mak aviv most you must. Okay, if you hit your father or mother, meaning hitting, injuring them in a serious way where there's blood, so now the, the Talmud discusses can a physician treat his parents? Not forgetting the ethical implications of it, just basically because if they do surgery on their parents, they're drawing blood. So the Talmud ends up, it doesn't allow it, but it says only because you might cut a little too much. Meaning when you're doing the surgery, if you cut one millimeter too much, then you're violating the law. But the surgery itself of, tree, of, 
on one's parents, says the Talmud, technically is no violation because that is an act of refuah. I don't know why no one quotes this. I mean, it's my own, but that, that's a great proof text for the same concept. Meaning, even though you're drawing blood, of course, we, when you're doing surgery on your father, the Torah says if you draw blood on your parents, it's a capital punishment, it's a capital crime. But the test says the Talmud, of course, you're not in violation if you did cut exactly what you're supposed to by treating them, because that is not injury, that's an act of healing. So in other words, the same act in different contexts can be defined in different ways, is what the Talmud seems to be saying. So I don't know why they don't apply that here, meaning we're defining, again, giving morphine could be to kill the patient, or it can be to help so the patient. How do we define that act? Do we define an act of killing or an act of treatment? You want us to submit a question to you so you can write a response like that? <laughs> Hebrew's not as good as this, but... Um, <laughs> Good point. Ulam. So he says, so I'm just pointing that out. So, so that would be, for me, at least another proof text. So he goes on to say, Ulam Koza Amarakasha. Again, he stresses this point, and you can't stress it enough. This is all stated, all the above is stated, Rakasha Morphium Niten Kevin. That the goal of giving the morphine is to quiet the pain. Below Chas Vashalom, and God forbid, Kasha Matara, where the goal is, Likatseret Chayat. Sorry. Um, in order to sh- for shorten the life, um, he says, "Shalchol Anosh Rachman Olzan." If that can't be your goal, Kloma Betur Retzach Mitoch Rachman. What he quotes, a mercy killing. Do it as a mercy killing. He owes Nechshava Maasel Retzach. He says, "No question. If that's your goal, is mercy killing, then you're you're." He said, "That's considered 100 percent an act of murder." So, so too, just like in our analogy, our analogous case, the Chazanish's case where the arrow is going, let's say my purpose of pushing the arrow is to kill that one guy. I don't like the guy. So it's going for that crowd, and I push the arrow. I'm saving many people's lives, but my goal is I don't, I don't like that fellow. Opportunity knocks. Right? <laughs> of course I'm considered a murderer. Even though I did the same act. If my goal in pushing the arrow is to save that, to save the many and sacrifice the one. Um, so then I did a mitzvah. But if my goal was to kill that guy in that same action, of course I'm a murderer. He says, you could maybe legally question if it's a capital crime or not in that situation. It would it be a capital, a capital crime of murder. So that's questionable, he says. But there's no question you are a murderer if your goal was to kill that one guy. So do it tomorrow. Thank you.